Well, good evening. It is uh, just such a delight to have uh, Pastor Mike Connell from Hastings with us again. Um, I just had so much feedback with uh, what we've done up to this point over the last two Sunday nights. And uh, I know that you've been hugely impacted by it. And uh, it's such a delight that Mike has agreed to be with us again tonight. And uh, we're just going to delve further into things of the heart and things of the kingdom of God. Mike, thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, why don't you just bring your greetings, please? Hey, Brent, it's so good to be with you again. And a uh, real welcome to all those who are watching, especially if you're watching from uh, various parts of New Zealand or other countries. Uh, I'm so glad you've joined with us and uh, just part of this apostolic dialogue. And uh, we know you're going to be blessed by tonight. And I'm thankful for the viewers who gave feedback on my camera being too low and looking up my nose. We've made an adjustment <laughs> today. <laughs> As you can see. <laughs> this is a problem when pastors try to do tech stuff out of their home. <laughs> Great to be with you. Exactly. Well, Mike, last week, um, you know, you shared so powerfully about the outworking of the kingdom of God. Um, and, you know, you talked in terms of character uh, and healing. We use those two scriptures, Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And 1 Corinthians uh, 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace and joy by the Holy Spirit. And I, and I just want to further some of our thinking on that. Um, one of the things that you spoke about, which I really wanted to focus in for a few minutes tonight, is on the issue of taking personal responsibility for our healing and the development of our heart. I mean, you gave, I think, one of the most outstanding processes of a person entering into healing. But one of the issues you mentioned was the whole thing of having a victim mentality. And I'd really like you to talk about what our victim mentality is, what it looks like in a person's life, how they can shift from having a victim mentality and lifestyle to one that is seeing progress to move them forward and heal. So can you just talk about that for a little bit? Um, sure. Please? Wow. Well, that's, that's a great topic, one we could spend a bit of time on. And uh, uh, so let me share a few things related to it. If you want to know what vic uh, victim mentality looks like, and I'll explain it exactly and specifically for you, what it, what it actually works out. But if you want to see it working out, go on the news and have a watch what's happening in America. What's happening in America is a cultural war, but it's basically uh, identity politics where they're pitting one group against another, where they're creating a, a group of people who are oppressed and they're reacting against an oppressor, which is a typical victim culture. Now, I'm not saying there's not things that are wrong or, or there are injustices that have happened, but the pitting one against another renders one group powerless and puts them in a victim mentality and victim mode. So a, a victim is a person who, through no fault of their own, has been oppressed uh, or, or, or suffered at the hands of someone who is more powerful than them, and they're unable to do anything to overcome that. So for example, someone gets beaten up, they've been victimized by a bully or someone older than them. So a victim has, as a person who's had an experience where they've been overwhelmed by the power of someone else and been unable to respond. But a victim mentality is a way of thinking. And it's a particular way of thinking. And uh, it goes like this. A victim mentality is a mindset that says, I'm a victim. I'm not responsible for what's happened to me. I'm not responsible for the state I find myself in. I'm not responsible even for getting out of it. I'm just looking for someone to blame and someone to rescue me. So when a person has a victim mentality, there are three distinct aspects. Uh, it's called the victim triangle. And so they have uh, the victim takes the place or position of zero responsibility. Mm. I, I'm in no way responsible for where I am and why I'm there. I need a persecutor. The persecutor is the other corner of the victim triangle and that or the victim drama, they call it. And that person is the one I'm going to blame. So we, we look for someone to blame for why I'm like I am. And that justifies me being in the situation and not taking responsibility. And not only am I not taking responsibility, I need a rescue. I need someone to come through for me who will actually solve the problem. So victim mentality uh, or the drama triangle, victim drama, it always works like that. And, and the kind of thinking is it's not my fault. 
you know, what can I do? It's characterized by powerlessness. What, what can I do? It, it's uh, characterized by anger and frustration. It's characterized by blaming people. And uh, we, people blame their father, blame their mother. Uh, they blame their family background. They blame their poverty. They blame uh, racial issues. They blame injustice. Uh, it just goes on. They blame lack of education. There's just no end to what you can blame. But the mindset is uh, that I'm just set. I'm not responsible. This has happened because of what someone else did. I need someone to come through for me. Now, when you bring people into the church, sadly, they bring that victim mentality in. They get saved. And then now the devil's to blame for why I've got all these problems. So all of my life, it's about the devil, the devil, the devil, the devil. It's never about me being responsible. And now what do I need? Well, I need God to come through for me. I need a minister. I need a highly anointed minister. You didn't come through for me. I need someone more anointed than you to come through for me. So it's a classic uh, powerless uh, uh, situation where I'm not at all responsible. I'm blaming someone else and I need someone else to come through for me. And so that person goes nowhere. They never become who God called them to be. And they remain stuck in, in that position there of total powerlessness, which leads to resentment and bitterness and frustration and rejection and, and uh, the blame shifting all the time. So this is a horrendous uh, state to be in because now you actually are making no movement forward anywhere into your destiny. You can't move forward in your marriage. You can't move forward with family, with finances, because always it's not my fault. I'm not responsible. Someone's to blame. Now, if you have a, there's two scripture um, references I'd like to make. There's many, but I'll just pick two, which are extremely powerful. And the first one comes out of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, when Adam has sinned, uh, the Bible describes him as being the son of God. And so his father comes looking for him. He receives the broken relationship and he asks three questions. And the first question is the relationship question. Uh, Adam, where are you? Which is not, uh, where can I discover you? Where you go hiding? This is actually talk to me. We're out of relationship. I'm expecting to meet with you. You didn't make your appointment. Where are you? What's going on in your life? Mm -hmm. And then the second question is what influenced you? You know, who, who told you you were naked? So it's about what, what thoughts, what things have been influencing you. And then finally, that this is the, the bottom line. He said, did you eat the fruit of the tree? Which is the responsibility question. Will you take responsibility for your actions? And immediately as we are aware, Adam, well, it's the woman you gave me. In other words, he blame shifts. Yeah. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing. Look what God does. When Adam shifts the blame, God stops talking with him anymore. He moves on to talk to Eve. Yeah. She does the same thing. He stops talking to her. So the next engagement they have with God, he's, he requires them now because they shifted blame didn't take responsibility, didn't own up to their part and address it, he now requires them to experience consequences. Wow. That's one of the most... Now, it's not that he stopped loving them, but if you blame, you face consequences of your irresponsibility. So one of the most powerful things I see in the Bible is where God requires us to be responsible because responsibility is the key to maturity and growth. The pathway to maturity and to full sonship and inheritance requires I choose to be responsible for my life. Now, if someone has hurt me, damaged me, abused me, traumatized me, and my life is damaged, I must still own it's my life. This is my damage. And the future for me will be what I do in processing with God the damage that's been done to me. The problem is with the world's media, uh, and particularly what's happening in this identity politics, is they're promoting people taking a victim status. And when, you, when, and when people take a victim status, well, they're easily exploited. Now, if there's been injustice done, if there's been uh, things happen, if there's been an abusive past, uh, 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 tragedies and so on, and things that we've not been responsible, nevertheless, God offers the invitation of walking into our circumstance, into our life, and empowering us to come out of it. He puts his spirit in us, greater is he in you than he that's in the world. You are an empowered person, a new creation. You can actually make choices to walk with God and process and go through transformation. So you're not only, and here's the thing, God's process of transformation is redemptive. So what I went through, 
then becomes the God makes is redemptive in his acting. It becomes the platform that enables me to fulfill my, my life and my ministry. It, he uses it to develop character, uses it to develop the qualities of the kingdom in my heart. And so then the ministry flows out of what I've experienced. So the second scripture comes out of Exodus 15. In Exodus 15, which follows immediately the people being uh, coming under the blood, walk going through the waters of baptism, going through and under the power of the, under the Holy Spirit. And then the very first thing in Exodus 15, God brings them to the waters of Marah. So they do three days. It's dry. They're thirsty. No water. The water they get to is called Marah because it's bitter. Mm. And um, now here's the thing. God led them to a circumstance that flushed up the bitterness in their heart. Now, this is a people that have had 400 years of slavery. They are generational slaves. There's been uh, abuse. There's been violence. There's been sexual abuse. There's been systemic injustice. They're a generation that have seen their children, their infants murdered. There are children, there are a generation that have suffered and been impoverished. Yep. And the real issue is not now what they've been through, but whether they'll deal with what's in their heart. So, to, so God's got them out of Egypt. Now he's got to get the bitterness out of them. So the very first place he brings them to, the very first issue he brings to their attention is the victimization to wow. deal with and expose the victim mentality. Wow. Now, so how does he do it? He brings them to a situation which seems uh, 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 overpowering, overwhelming. We're in the desert, no water, the water we can't drink. So what comes up? It says immediately they began to complain. So when people have got a victim mentality, they're usually bitter, there's rejection, there's shame in the heart, and it manifests through critical words against people in authority. The anger and frustration was expressed at the tangible sign of authority at Moses. So they complain against Moses. And of course, this is the pattern they never broke out of. So they never developed the heart that could enable them to enter all God had for them. So you look in that story in Exodus, in Exodus 15, the waters of Marah, it says when they came to the waters of Marah, see the, the people of Israel complained. Complaining is the evidence of the root of bitterness and the victim mentality. Moses prayed. He didn't have an answer for the problem, but he knew someone who did have an answer. <laughs> so he prays. He turns intentionally towards God who can provide a solution when there is none. He's not acting like a victim. He's turning to his source, his resource. And it says when he did that, God gave him revelation. He got a revelation of a tree, speaking of the cross, which when you put the tree into the water, the bitters become sweet. Mm. So rather than dividing the culture along victim uh, and oppressor, God says, no, no, let me come to the cross and let me bring the power of the cross into the injustice, into the shame, into the bitterness, into the rejection, and I'll make the bitter water sweet. What a powerful story that is, and even more relevant for today than ever when you look what's happening across the world. I mean, that is just absolutely amazing, Mike, putting it in those terms. Let's, let's, let's look at this in terms of the New Zealand scenario, because, um, you know, we, we have a very strong social welfare and, and I appreciate um, social welfare. I'm not against that. But um, you've got the, the conflicts of things like the Treaty of Waitangi and some of the stuff that revolve around that. That's all relevant to our culture. You've got the issues of a lot of blame shifting uh, yes. regarding education um, and uh, people from the Pacific and so on. And, and so there's a lot of blame shifting on the education systems. And, I mean, these are very, very cult culturally sensitive issues in our, in yes. our nation. I'd just like you to comment on, on that regarding that in relationship to the victim mentality. <clears throat> well, we don't live in a perfect world. We're called to transform the world and bring the kingdom of God into the world. So, the kingdom, uh, a lot of people, if, they, if they're thinking of their Christianity is just to get saved and go to heaven, then, of course, all they can do is be bitter and complain about what's going on around them. But if you take the cultural mandate or the mandate given to Adam to subdue and have dominion, in other words, to 
as the God's representative in the earth, as the son of God representing his father to bring the influence of heaven and the culture of heaven into the earth and the power of heaven into the earth to bring transformation. That's the original intention. So when we look around, of course, there's oppression. Of course, there's injustice. Of course, there are uh, significant uh, uh, situations that have happened over, over the history that have caused injustice and imbalance. So this is actually, a, this, is, this is true in every nation and it's mm. been true all through history. Mm. There's nothing unusual about it or distinctly New Zealand about it. We have our own particular packaging of it, but the issues right. always come down to the issues of sin and oppression. Now, as Christians, I believe the first thing is we to uh, not hide from the, with the we're not to hide from the community or hide from our brethren. Our first responsibility is to be free from injustice, because if we don't actually access God and access the kingdom of heaven in our personal life and become aligned with Him, we then become a crusader for against injustice of one kind, and usually that means creating another injustice. <laughs> <laughs> so we have many issues in New Zealand, and I think that it's time for the church not to hide, but to become free inside and, and, and mobilize to actually speak up and be an influence for change, salt and light in the community. So I think there are many, many issues and hiding isn't gonna solve it, blame shifting isn't gonna solve it. We've actually got to listen and have understanding. So interesting with Solomon, it was in a place uh, of, uh, of uh, royal authority to represent God, bring the kingdom into the earth. And God says, I'll give you whatever you want. Well, you know, if you, you ask a lot of people what they want, they want money, they want this, they want that, they want power, they want guns, they, <laughs> they want more anointing or whatever they want. But he asked for something very, very significant. He said, Lord, give your servant. In other words, he's aware that in his role as a servant to God, give him an understanding and discerning heart so that I might lead or judge this great people. Mm. So if you want to lead or have influence, you need to have an understanding heart, a discerning heart and wisdom what to do. So and God was delighted he asked that and asked and said straight, well, because you asked that and didn't ask for any of these other things, I'll give you all the other things will come with that. <laughs> now, that, this is what this tells us. It tells us that in, from kingdom perspective, what is important is not money, but understanding and wisdom. If you have understanding and wisdom, the money will come. So if you complain about all the things that are wrong, you're going nowhere. You're seeing a perpetuating victim and you try and address one injustice by swinging it another way and creating another injustice. But if we find from God wisdom and understanding, we are then in a position to be able to engage and help. So you don't ever get understanding unless you listen. The big thing is people want to make changes and, and do things, but they're not listening. They're not hearing the heart of people, what the real issues and what they're really struggling with and standing with them to bring kingdom adjustment. So I find people come to me all the time with uh, various kinds of issues that they have in their past and they're angry and they're bitter and whatever. But you know what? At the bottom line, they've got to face, yes, the injustice happened, but I need to look at how it's affected me, how I can come to the cross and be healed. So now I have a voice of peace and not a voice of war. That what's coming out of my heart is not anger, hostility and hatred, but what's coming out of my heart is the kingdom of heaven, peace, uh, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Yeah. It, it, yeah it's amazing, isn't it? Because it, it all comes down to uh, the transformation of the heart, doesn't it? Totally. It, it, Every time. <laughs> it, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter where you head in Christianity. It's all, it's all got to do with, well, who are you on the inside? What's in your heart? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, that's why I, I loved such writers as Watchman Nee, who addressed some of those issues and said, yeah. you, you've got to deal with this stuff inside you. Yes. You can't be the, he calls it, what is it, the, the spiritual man, when you've got all of this stuff hanging around. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, and you're uh, so, that is so right. That is so right. And if you look that, that, um, uh, uh, politics uh, or government and religion try to change what's external. Yeah. 
but the kingdom of heaven starts internal. Change the man on the inside, yeah. and that empowered man can then make an influence in society. See, one of the one of the things that I'm finding becoming an increasing problem is, you know, back when in the 70s and 80s, when I was first saved and in the church, uh, the expectation was that you come into the church and you change to the culture of the kingdom rather than where yeah. I see it so much today is we have to change how we behave to adapt to the current culture, which actually is a defiled and corrupt culture. But yes. people think it's the right culture. It's the right thing. But what they don't realize is they're actually, they're actually deceived to yes. think that because actually the whole scripture is about you adjusting your culture to kingdom culture. Absolutely. Well, the word kingdom is the giveaway there. It's not democracy. We, yes. we come into a kingdom, who, who, a king who has a kingdom culture, who has a rule, who has a will. The only question is how much you'll align with it. If you think of the, the nature of our problems in the earth today is because we say my way, not God's way. Yeah. And the choice is still the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I just value highly the background we had where we were raised with a message of the kingdom and that you brought your life into obedience and surrender and acknowledge the authority and the right for God to govern your life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, just before, um, you know, I, I'm preparing, uh, you know, to do the offering and so on for Sunday morning and I was thinking about the fact of, um, you know, kingdom is about what God has entrusted to us, part of which is money. Yes. See, our money that we earn is no longer ours. It's an entrustment from God. And therefore, obedience is, what we, is about what <laughs> we do with that money. And part of the culture of the kingdom is to be a giver of money as well as a giver of other things. But you see, so many um, people haven't got that understanding because they are looking to adjust church culture, Christian culture to what they are comfortable with and what they believe in. I, I did a message about um, tolerance and how um, the current culture has changed the definition of tolerance from oh, yeah. we are tolerant to each other in different points of view versus um, I'll be, um, I can only be tolerant um, if you agree with me, and if you disagree with me, you are now intolerant, which is the destruction of free speech. Yes, that totally. Means, that means yeah. we can never talk about anything unless it's in agreement with the other people. And this is this is such a dangerous precedence. Whereas yes. the kingdom of God, you know, when he says it's not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy, you see, it's about who you are on the inside. And yes. you've got to change toward that. Amazing, amazing. Um, you know, I, I, I just trust that as you're talking today, that people who've got a victim mentality, it's just getting getting revealed. And then so suddenly there's a there's a responsibility taking place of saying, I gotta deal with this. Yeah. You know? We well I raised this with the when we talk about the healing, you asked the question, a brilliant question last week. What, what if you're in a church that is not practicing healing or deliverance? What do you do? Yeah. Yeah. See, so understand the first thing I addressed was the victim mentality. Be thankful and honor and acknowledge what is there. Yes, yes. But don't look to it to provide everything you, you need. If need be, take the responsibility yourself for your own healing journey. Ask the Lord and he will bring you to the resources and people that can help you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's basically about that victim mentality. And the, the most powerful shift a person can make is away from I'm the victim and I have no power and someone else is to blame and someone else must rescue me to actually God is with me. Christ is in me. I have, I'm complete in him. I have all I need for my journey. Hmm. You know, Mike, one of the illustrations I've often used on this, on this issue, um, which is just a story, but it, it illustrates it. He says there, there were two, two sisters. Um, one was successful and one was a failure in their life. And so the one that was a, a failure was asked the question, well, why did you fail so badly? And they said, well, because my father was an alcoholic. And the other one who was a success said, they were asked, why did you succeed so much? They said, because my father was an alcoholic. <laughs> one used it as an excuse and the other as a motive. Exactly. 
<laughs> I mean, it's just, I mean, and that is profoundly at the point of what this discussion is about, isn't it, really? Absolutely. Well, it, it says in like 2 Corinthians uh, 1, verse 3, it says, we comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So what people don't realize is your healing journey creates a well of experience, compassion, understanding, and insight that can help someone. So your healing journey is not just for you. God has in mind that you will be a well of blessing and an inspiration to others because you've come out of a situation they can identify with mm. and you've overcome. Mm. Mm. And, and I don't see any, look, you look at the men of God in the Bible, how they were trained for their assignment. My goodness, they all suffered injustice. You know, look at Joseph, you know, betrayed by his brothers. They were planning to kill him. They sold him to the slave traders. They stripped him and publicly auctioned him off. And then he's serving in, a, in another country and accused falsely of rape and thrown into the lowest prison, lucky to escape with his life, abandoned by people he helped. I mean, what is all that about? You know, he could easily have said, I'm, well, I don't know, I'm just quitting on this God. This is all too tough. But actually, it was all the process for the destiny that God had for him. Well, let's just, get that. Yeah, you see, now, now let's just focus on that. See, he could have given up on God. Yes. How many people we know that have gone through fire, gone through bad situations, and they've basically said, oh, I'm just giving up my Christianity because God didn't come through for me. God, you know, I thought God would bless me and God would help me, and he didn't, and so blow this, I'm out of here. I mean, comment on that, please. Sure. Well, I found many people do that. And I think part of the problem is what we're preaching. Oh, talk about it. <laughs> well, if we preach just motivational message of how you can be a great success and how you can prosper in life and don't teach the kingdom and an eternal perspective and understanding sonship and the process of transformation, how can people possibly understand what they're going through? How can they make any sense of what they're going through? If you're told a message that God, Jesus loves you and God's going to bless you, he's going to put favor on you and bless every part of your life, and then you start to face hardship, you're in conflict between what you've heard and believe and what you're experiencing, and there's no way through that. So, so I think that the message that's being preached lacks the perspective of the kingdom and a life lived for Christ to bring honor to him in whatever we do. I think the lack of teaching around sonship and God's desire as a son to mature us through adversities in life. That's why it says, you know, and James, you know, uh, you know, when there's counted all joy, when you go through diverse tribulations, why would you do that? What not to do that? Knowing it's because of what you know. It's because of the revelation you have that these things will work in your life, the, the quality of faithful endurance, which will bring a work of maturing and perfecting you. So it's only because you know what God does through that, that you can stand up in the middle of that. Otherwise, yeah. I'd have quit long ago. It's the knowing that God, even if everything is against you, you're in your darkest hour and all seems to have failed, that does not mean that God has abandoned you. You, you look at Moses in the desert. Well, yep. He doesn't look like a leader of a nation there. And, and David in a cave doesn't look like a king. There's yep. all through the Bible, people don't look good at certain points in their life. But that's not the end of their story. There's a journey that they're taking with God. Yep. So I, yep. I think part of the problem is people haven't been uh, fathered and instructed in kingdom realities and in God's process of transformation. In other words, God's eternal purpose. It's a shallow message. You see, it's not, it's, it's a me centered message rather than actually centering around Christ and being conformed to his image. And what did he do? He humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death. So if I'm facing adversity, this is my time to surrender, to see what surfaces, let God work in that and develop the quality of perseverance and endurance through adversity, holding on to God. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm so reminded of a lot of the teaching you and I was brought up with, like, you know, um, we go through the refiner's fire. We yeah. actually... <laughs> yeah. well, God is a refiner. He, he <laughs> will sit as a refining fire. The Bible tells us Malachi, you know. Yeah. yeah. 
and we all will will sing nice songs about it. But suddenly God says, well, it's time to refine Brent Douglas. And so he just lets hell come forth towards yes. you and yes. just your reaction in your heart and exactly. see what surfaces because he wants to clean the dross off the, the rubbish that gets refined out of the gold so as to get some purity. And it's all about surfacing, bringing to the surface yes. the corruption, the brokenness yes. of the heart. So yes. if we really want to be true sons of God, sons and daughters of God, and fulfill God's destiny and call and enter into the best God's got for us, we have to understand that he is going to start a process of refining, a process of refining in our lives that is going to bring transformation so that the dross is removed. I mean, Absolutely. you and I were brought up with that message, weren't we? Yes, exactly, exactly. The only thing that was missing in there was understanding the principles of healing the heart. So yes. it did tend towards legalism and harshness. Yes, yes, it does. So I, I think what's done a lot of damage is the seeker-friendly message. Right. Because it, it's, it's tried to present a message that appeals to people and it's attracted the crowds. But, when, but then it avoids the realities of the fire of God, the power of God, the cross. It yeah. avoids the issues of discipleship, personal discipleship. Yeah. So you have a crowd, but you have no disciples, yeah. no spiritual formation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the things I've told my... I see you're thinking now. I well, I, I, I'm thinking as to whether I'll share what I'm going to share. I'm going to share it, but because I've shared it with my church many times. But, you know, one of the most profound experiences that I had was when I attended... Joel Austin's church in Lakewood, you know, right. 30,000 people. Now, a lot of people have criticized Joel Austin because of it's a seeker type friendly message. Yeah. But you see, see, I know for a fact, because, and, and I know how, how I got this information, Jacob Biswell, my friend, was taken through a personal tour of the facility and he was shown the inner healing rooms. He was oh, shown. Wow. The deliverance where people go for deliverance from demons. He wow. was shown where they do discipleship and counseling and all of that sort of stuff. See, what you know, the reason that church is so powerful, so anointed when you're there alive. I mean, I've been there in a live 11 o'clock service. It's nothing like what you see on TV. It's no. the full manifest presence of God and glory of God in the most amazing way. But you see, I came to realize having been there, the, the, the gospel was preached clearer than you would get at just about any church in New Zealand. People right. came to Christ. Yes. Um, and there's a whole process to bring people into wholeness and healing and deliverance so that right. they might be successful in their Christian walk. Right, right. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. But that's not true of a lot of seeker-friendly churches. No, no, that's why I'm interested. <laughs> well, that's great to hear that because I don't think many people would know that, Brent. No, well, you've got to actually go there and you've got yeah. to actually talk to the leaders and you've got to be showing around. Then you suddenly discover there's a there's this enormous culture in behind it that yes. you don't see on TV. <laughs> well, nothing is quite what it looks like on TV, is it? And, <laughs> and a big crowd in a congregation is not, and that doesn't tell you anything about what's going on behind it. No, there's always work and prayer and planning and effort and, and uh, a, str a strategy and, uh, and an organization behind it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when I came out of that service, I said to myself, if I was to come to live in Houston, I wouldn't even think about attending another church. I'd right. just go there because right, I right. know I'd get what I need and I know that I would be recognized and used to the fullest extent of my gift. Because it, wow. that's that's in the culture, but any amazing, Mike. I want to move on because um, I, you know, what you've said this morning, I think has been absolutely brilliant, and our second question really ties into this. And I want to focus mm -hmm. a little on the issues of reward and loss of reward, sure, uh, which is a key component regarding the kingdom of God. As an example, in Matthew twenty-five, the parable of the talents, you had five; those with five, those with two, that, that was one. Um, two of them doubled their talent, one lost their talent and actually came under the judgment of God um, and he lost his reward. 
Now, in, 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 in much the current Christian cultural thinking, the idea is put forth, well, Jesus has done it all. There's nothing now required for us to do. It's all grace, and therefore we don't need to strive and all the rest of it. Now, in, now I agree with that in terms of what Christ did on the cross. Yes. But you see, the reality is, in Matthew 25, 30, throw out the worthless slave in the terms of the parable of Christian into outer darkness, that place where there will be a weeping and a gnashing of, of teeth. Um, we, we've got the, the, the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 3, 9 to 17, which talks about each man's work will become evident because it goes through the fire and he tests the quality of each man's work. And there are those that are saved, but they lose their reward. I mean, that, that seems to me to be wow. a consistent uh, a, a teaching in the word of God. You know, James... Uh, three talks about uh, faith and works, and there's a requirement to do something with our with our works. And of course, as you spoke the other week, concerning um, you know the, uh, the the five wise and five foolish virgins, all Christian, but f only five entered into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Yeah. That were the marriage supper cross five. Were, were Christians and in outer darkness at the midnight hour, and they lost the ultimate reward. Yes, yes. Can you speak to that, please? Wow. I think that the church on the whole is not instructed in God's eternal purpose, which involves a plan that God had long before the fall of man, before the creation of man, even Christ was slain before the foundation of the earth. So without an understanding of the bigger purpose, we focus only on the redemption. We look at the cross and getting saved and getting water baptized. And we don't think in terms of, well, what was God's original purpose? And so God's original purpose involving sonship is intimacy with him, representing his character and nature, and uh, then expanding his kingdom. So Adam, even like us, was given a period where he had to mature. And so his, his season then was one of maturing, which he failed and didn't pass. So we, all of us need to view our life as basically our apprenticeship for eternity and for the coming kingdom. And God has planned much for us. So when you start to look through the scripture, you'll find over and over the, the parables and the teaching of Jesus reflect on an eternal reward. Yep. Even it says of Jesus in, in Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, <clears throat> he endured the cross. Uh, we see scriptures like in Matthew uh, 16 and uh, verse 27, the son of man will come in the glory of his father and the angels, and he shall reward every man according to his works. Uh, we see it in the book of Revelation 22:12. Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according to his works. Then in the book of Revelation, chapter two and chapter three, all the seven churches, to him that overcomes, I will give, I will give, I will grant, I will give. So clearly, just those scriptures enough, and there are others, many others, they tell then that God has a destiny that passes this period that we call our life on the earth. It's an eternal destiny, and that he has a reward for us. And it's very clear Jesus taught about this issue of reward. So, uh, for example, uh, you, you referred uh, to the, um, the parables of Jesus, the teaching parables of Jesus. So uh, when he taught the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking the heart qualities necessary to live out the life on the earth. Eh? Mm. You've got to focus on the heart transformation, heart qualities. Then in the parables, he begins to talk about the coming kingdom. So Matthew 24 starts with the question, what is the sign of these end times? What is the sign of the destruction of the temple? What is the sign of the end times in your coming? So he outlines in there the various things. In 24, 25, he outlines a number of teachings of the signs to look out for. And then he begins to talk about the end times, the coming of the kingdom. And so the parables. So when you look at the parables, they're very, very clear. These are parables of the kingdom. They're involving our stewardship, our service, uh, how we've been intimate, and so on. Each one refers to different things, and, and we can gain a, a big picture as you look at them all. So Romans uh, 14.10 tells us each of us, or believers, will stand before the, the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ to give account or receive reward for our works. And the word reward that's used mostly is the word misthos, meaning a pay or a recompense for the labor that you have done. 
Wow. So God, God is just, he will reward us. And yes. if you think, if we, if we focus just for a moment on the character of God being just, it, it's quite apparent that a person who gives their life in sacrificial service and is uh, diligent and they're pursuing the Lord, fulfilling what God wants, is sacrificial and, and, and loving, them, they're going to be a different eternal destiny for them than the believer who barely gets to church once in a week, sometimes once a month, and there's no ongoing devotion or pursuit of God or service. Now, they're not saved because of their works. They're saved totally on faith in the work Jesus did. But our stewardship is evaluated with rewards in mind. So then you start to look now at uh, those parables, the parable then of the five virgin, 10 virgins, five because of uh, the supply of oil. How do they get the supply of oil? Go to those who sell and buy. Buying means you've got to exchange, means there's a labor, there's an effort, something I've done, enable me to obtain this. That's all about works. Now, we're not talking about striving. Striving is a work of the flesh, driven out of fear or wrong motivations. We're talking about the, 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 the works that come out of believing God and then applying ourselves in the pursuit of that. So the five virgins, some entered, some were excluded. What did they enter? They entered a marriage supper, the marriage supper of the lamb, the celebration. They entered a festivity. What was that like? Well, uh, in those days, they didn't have street lamps like we did. So the house would be lit up with lamps. And if you're in the house, it's full of light. If you're outside the house, you're in darkness. And so a typical uh, wedding uh, event would be that the bride and groom got betrothed and then he would go away and he would prepare a place for them to, uh, to come to, to live in, in the father's house, another room. Mm. And then she would know about the time, but she had to be ready. And then the sound would come, the bridegroom comes and they would walk through the streets. It was night. It was a dark hour. They would have the lamps burning. There'd be a, a lamp like pr procession. Uh, the forerunner would announce he's coming. The bride would step up and get ready to come. And then they'd go together into the father's house. So if you were in the father's house, then you're in a place full of light. If you're not in the father's house and the door's shut, where are you? You're in the darkness that's outside the celebration. And so when it talks about outer darkness, it can't be hell. Because no. hell's a place of burning. Yeah. How can you have burning and darkness the same thing? It doesn't make any sense at all. Exactly. See, so the darkness here is the darkness outside the festivities. It's, it's speaking of the contrast between in the house full of light with the celebration, the laughter, the dancing, the music, the festivities, the food, the drink, and the celebration and joy and rejoicing, and then being outside of that. You, you're looking in through the window virtually, you can see someone else enjoying it, and you're outside and excluded from that. Safe, so, but excluded from the celebration. Absolutely. And then what follows that is seen in the next parable because it continues. So he goes on to the parable of the servants now and the, 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 the master's gone into the far country. He's given them all, uh, uh, you know, to one five, to one two, to one one. And it's according to their varying capacities. And then he comes back, he calls them to give account of what are they giving account of? Not whether they say, they're giving account of their stewardship. How did you, what did you do to produce fruit for your master because these talents belong to him. Yeah. What have you done with your journey, with the gifts and talents and opportunities, with the supernatural empowerment, the revelations God has given you, what fruit have you produced? And of course, the one who had five uh, multiplied it, got five, and he's commended. The one who got two, got two, same commendation. So in this particular parable, it identifies that no matter what capacity we have, no matter what God has given to us, entrusted to us, it makes no difference as to the level of reward we will receive. Both of them receive the same commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of the master. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. So notice in the parable of the virgins, what's at stake then is entry into the uh, celebration, into the marriage feast. Now here he implies a similar thing, but he adds something else to it. He said, enter the joy of the, of the Lord. In other words, enter the joy and celebration of the uh, wedding feast. 
And then he says, but what's coming is you'll be put, made ruler over many things. So now he, he moves from the wedding feast onto what will come after that, which is the, uh, the servants of the Lord ruling and bringing the kingdom into the earth. And, uh, and of course, so, so clearly there, the servants are evaluated. Luke 19, which is the parable of the pounds, looks the same, but it's very, very different. In Luke 19, everyone's given the same amount, but different diligence different passionate commitment abiding in Christ and, and a life of uh, fruitfulness for the Lord produces a different reward. So one who, who all received one. So it's in the first parable of the talents, they got different according to capacity, but equal uh, faithfulness produces equal reward. Now this one is saying, well, wait a minute, some people really are far more fruitful. They really do work, they do serve, they give their lives, they sacrifice their lives, they abide in Christ and produce a lot of fruit. So the one who had one got 10, he's made a ruler now over 10 cities. So now the, the, the reward and view is authority to govern and partner with Christ in the coming kingdom. Uh, the one who had uh, two made two. Uh, so the, one, the other one made, um, I can't remember what it was, five was it? And, uh, and so he gets over five cities. And so notice now they're rewarded now in proportion to the application and fruit bearing. And then the one who had one that is the same in each of them uh, and, uh, and, and gets a rebuke. So this commendation, well done. You've actually done well. You've performed in a way or putting another way. I am, I take great pleasure in what you have done in your service to me. Then he, then he, then he speaks of their identity. I call you, he's speaking about them. First, what they did, now about them. You are good and you are faithful. So he's talking about their character. And then he tells about the reward. Now, with the other servants, he said, he said, you wicked and slothful servant. So now what is he saying there? The word wicked is not the word like evil in the sense of um, sinful, uh, uh, doing evil, wicked things. The word there that's used is the word poneros in the Greek. It means to have a very negative influence on others. And then he says, and you're lazy. You would not apply yourself to work. So notice then that the believer who has been given so much, but is lazy, will not apply themselves to grow, will not apply themselves to serve, will not apply themselves to do things in the kingdom. In fact, they're casual, half-hearted, lukewarm about their walk with God. They are a negative influence in that they demotivate other people. He's really laying it out there in that parable, isn't he? Eh? And, he's, and, and so he says now, the, so he says, take from him that, uh, that um, pound and give it to the servant who had 10. And you think, well, that's, that's not socialism for a start. <laughs> that's got to be the most unjust thing that's ever done <laughs> that would really create a howling of not fear <laughs> white supremacy <laughs> some kind of thing like that but god is just and he, what he's saying is something like this i see that when i god is looking for us to be faithful and fruitful so he can lift our responsibility level and our governance level in the coming kingdom. Now, if you, if you gave uh, 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 some money to one person, same to another, and one is very productive, the other does nothing with it, of course you say, you're actually missing the whole point of what I'm on about. I'm on about expanding uh, my kingdom through the whole of creation by, uh, by conserving and preserving. You haven't done some big deal, you've actually broken and defied the whole purpose of giving you the thing in the first place. So take it from him. He's not productive. Give it to the one who really be the most productive. Yeah. Like if you would invest in, a, in, in, in some kind of investment, you'd say, well, now this one's producing tenfold. That's producing fivefold. We're going to put your money. You put it with the hundred, put it with the tenfold. You're going to get the increase. God's a great businessman. He's yeah. smart. Yeah, yeah. He knows how to make it happen. So, so very clearly in there, you see, uh, a connection between our performance and then what we come into or enter into the coming kingdom. In the passage that you spoke of in 1 Corinthians 3, God is now talking about the same issue, rewards and potential loss. But now the issue at stake is not the work we did, but what sort the work is. In other words, what is the nature of what you've done? 
Now, we can do many things for various reasons. Now, for example, people can do things because of fear. They can do things because of guilt. They can do things because of duty. They can do things because they've got a rescuing mentality, a victim mentality, and they've learned to pick everything up and do everything. They're wonderful people, and they're doing so much for so many people, but dying on the inside, and they're, no, they're moved not by a freedom and the love of God. They're moved out of some bondage in their heart. Mm. So, so that's why he says, now, when you build, you need to be careful what you're building with. You know, gold, silver, precious stones, which can abide a fiery test, wood, hay, stubble, which all speak of humanity or human motivation, the motivations of the flesh. So he's basically talking of motivations of the spirit, the love of God and a pure heart and motivations of a mixed agenda. Hmm. In, in James 3, he says, uh, he says, showing our works uh, out of the meekness of wisdom. So, so, in other words, our, our, our lifestyle of work should flow out of a heart that's transformed. So it's not that God rejects all works. It's just he puts them through a fire to see what's left after you've checked the motivation. So <laughs> if you think of Jesus' uh, 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 confrontation with the Pharisees, what he confronted them over there was not the works they did, but the motivation for the works. Yeah, yeah. And he said, don't do that. He did, he, he, they go and they pray. They pray to be seen of men. Well, they had their reward. When you pray, it's not to be seen of men. This is to about to deal with God. This is about a purity of heart. When you fast, you don't, don't, don't show to impress people. It's not about impressing people. This is about engaging God. If you're giving, you're not giving to impress people and gain honor publicly and everyone says what a great person you are. You're doing it secretly and God who sees will reward you openly. So that scripture, 1 Corinthians 3, is talking about the fire will test every man's work what sort it is. Yep, yep. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, you see a similar kind of thing where he says, uh, he said, don't judge anything before the time because God will bring all things, make all things manifest, and then we'll receive our reward or commendation. So right now, I can't tell what the quality of your works are. I see all you do. You can't tell the quality of my works. But that day the fire will reveal everything. God will take it all through the fire and whatever is not uh, motivated by love. See, so you think 1 Corinthians 13 verse 2, where he says, you know, I can give my goods to the poor and I can give my body to be burned, but I haven't got love. It profits me nothing. <laughs> See, so, so there are many scriptures that make it really clear that the issue here is motivation. Mm -hmm. Are you moved out of intimacy and obedience to God? Are you moved out of love with no agenda? It's as simple as that. And, I, <laughs> and so every man's work will be tried. So if you've built some great thing and everyone's impressed, but secretly it was all about your ego and pride and whatever, I'm sorry, but the fire's going to consume and show up. That's what it was. There may not be much left. And so the scripture says, the fire will try every man's work. What sort of, what sort of is this? And, and they said, if his man's work abide, then he'll receive reward. But if, his, if he, but if his work doesn't abide, he'll suffer loss. He'll be saved. So it's not an issue of salvation. It's an issue of reward. So we're talking about believers who are casual, disconnected, half-hearted. Uh, their walk with God is an issue of convenience, if it suits me. Or if they're maybe doing things, but it's all still about me. You see, that's the part. That's the consequence of the fall that's got to come to an end and we become a Christ-honoring people. And this is where we need transformation of our heart. God works on our heart, accepting what we do and the why we do it, but he doesn't leave us that way. He keeps putting the fire around us to shift our heart and transform us. Hence the need for transformation. Intimacy leads to transformation. Intimacy leads to assignment. Assignments show the lack in our heart of grace and love and our need for transformation. Transformation shifts how we do our assignments. They're all interlocked with one another. So I see that when evaluating our works, God looks at a whole number of factors. Yeah, yeah. One would be that we have been faithful. Yeah. Even if we only had a very little, it's not a matter. Maybe you just have got no great giftings and maybe you've got a very little task somewhere in life. It doesn't really matter. If you're a worshiper and intimate with God, you can bring the love and the life of God into that. He's not interested in you building your big ministry. He sees quietly what you do. 
like the woman with the two mites. Jesus saw what she did and said, oh, she gave more than everyone. It's, it's the motivation in the heart he sees. So I, I think this then stops you striving to do some big, great thing and causes you to then, number one, I really want to know God in a much more intimate way. Two, I want him to transform my heart to become like his heart. And three, I want to demonstrate his love to people. I want to actually advance his kingdom to the very best of my ability. So I get to the end of my life. I say, I fought my fight. I've run my race. I've kept faith. And now it's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Mm. And not only to me, but to all who love his appearing. Mm. So there's a bit of stuff there. <laughs> well, as I'm listening to you, Mike, um, I mean, it's taking me back. Um, but I, I, I feel the, the weight of shock that people listening to this are feeling. Because this, I think, for many, many Christians today will be a complete and absolute radical uh, yes. insight that they have never viewed, they've never been taught, and they've never taken any thought about because they have been given, um, I think, a watered-down gospel. Yeah. But, but, but the reality is that there is going to be accountability. Yes. And um and, and it's very it's a very difficult message when when you've not been brought up with this and, and, and you have got the concept that you have options. You've got no options other than to serve God with the gifts and talents and abilities that He's given <laughs> you and express that in the environment that He's called you into. Um, what you know, and, and one of the areas is, of course, that, that as a result of that, everything that we do must be done by conviction and not by preference. Yes, you know, otherwise it's, it's dead work. It's dead works. So if mm. you, for instance, are a builder, are you a builder because you're there by conviction or is it just because you like doing it? Yeah. If you are a lawyer, are you a lawyer by conviction because God called you to it or you're doing it because, well, it's just a preference? Are you a school teacher? Is it by Very conviction good. or preference? Or um, are you a nurse by convictional preference? And you see, so it's, you see a lot of people, especially back in our days, we thought of ministry as what we do in the church. Actually, what ministry is, is what we do for God. Yes. And what we do yes. by conviction <laughs> um, from God. And so we serve out our ministry according to the, the arena that he has called us into. And whether it be a pastor an evangelist or a builder, a nurse, a teacher, or a warehouse worker, it makes no difference. But all of those parables of Jesus and the kingdom apply to every single one of us. And Very see, good. it's like Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Now, the moment Jesus said that, all options were off the table. <laughs> and it's the same for us. You see, see, I don't believe that you and I and any Christian, once you get saved, all options are off the table. You, you have to walk by what by they that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons and daughters of God. And therefore, you've got to do what you do by conviction, not by what you prefer to do. And so therefore, everything that we invest our lives into, and that's the critical word, Yes, is, is critical to do that investment via the conviction of the Holy Spirit because, and I'd like you to comment on this finally, because God has invested in us and because he has invested in us, he wants a return on his investment. Yes or no? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Yeah, that's, he, he does desire return on his investment. He's paid a huge price. I, I think part of the problem is people want a partial Jesus. They want a Jesus that will save them and heal them and be kind to them and prosper them and bless them. But Jesus is also king. Hmm. So, so if you've got a partial Jesus, you've got the Jesus that's nice to you and it's convenient. You can come back when you need him. But if, if Jesus is the king, then he has a will and he has a rule and he's a kind king, a benevolent king, but nevertheless, he's a king. So my options are whether I fulfill my will 
or whether I'll surrender to his will because he's a loving, serving, honorable king who has a destiny for me. So you always have the choice, but it's helpful if you see what the choice is. <laughs> and God is wanting fruit. Yeah. You know, he says in Hebrews 6, he's talking about the foundations, which you touched on there, repentance from dead works, faith towards God, going through to eternal judgment and rewards. And then he says, now, what about the ground that doesn't produce any fruit? He says it's near to being cursed. Mm. In other words, he's saying ground that doesn't produce any fruit brings grief and disappointment to him because he's paid such a price to be able to have that ground bear fruit. So if you make your passion to bring pleasure to God, which is what we're called to do. See, so I remember very early in my, uh, in my walk, you know, I got to start a Christian school and I realized, wait a minute, I could be just here in the small town doing this thing for the rest of my life. Would I do that? And I remember a distinct point of kneeling down and saying, Lord, if this is what you have, if this is your will and your destiny for me to serve here in this little town, never seen by man, but seen only by you, Lord, I surrender to it. Now, of course, you never end there. When you have that attitude, God brings you to enlargement. <laughs> <laughs> but you understand, there's still the surrender. And, there's, and, you know, the life of faith is the life of altars. So well, I think today people want to preserve self-life rather than bring self-life to death. You know, it's not just the cross of Jesus that brings benefits. It's actually we bring our old nature to the cross and surrender. The power and reality of the kingdom becomes manifest. Hmm. Oh, wow. Well, I think what you said is true. This would be a bit of a shock for a lot of people. And perhaps some of you watching now, this has really shifted your thinking. Let me tell you this, when my shifting thinking, my thinking shifted around this, it changed the course of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for me too. Yeah. It, it kept me in the faith. Yeah. Because the, the, the revelation of the kingdom and the, and the rewards and the bigger plan of God, what would you turn to in, as a substitute to that? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just kept me, no matter what's been going on, no matter how ups and downs and highs and lows of life and ministry, nevertheless, you know, for the hope that's set before him, <laughs> we endure, for the joy set before we endure the cross, you know. And in Hebrews it says, you know, we have uh, a, a, an anchor of the soul. It's a hope that gives us an anchor in the soul. Mm. And a lot of people, they're not anchored in their soul because there's no sense of revelation about the kingdom. It's all about now and yeah. me. Yeah. Mike, um, look, that's our hour. And, um, wow. And that went quick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just been so captivating and, uh, you know, powerful. Um, and, and I certainly would like to pursue some more of this. I mean, that's that statement that you made. Life, the, the life of faith is a life of altars. I mean, what a statement. I mean, and I don't want to talk about it. But I think that, um, right now, but I think that is something that, that, that we should talk about. But, but I think that this is such a revelation or a, an insight that, that many of the listeners will never have heard before, that I think it's worthy of us spending some more time just looking at the whole issue of rewards and, uh, and, and you know, God's um, principles of accountability um, and so on in our lives. Um, in relationship to, he has done all that's needed to be done at the cross, yeah. which is true, and we accept it, but there's now how we outwork that is what we're talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. And um, well, Of course, it tells, you know, we know at the cross, the price is paid for every man to be saved. Yes. Yeah. But uh, is every man saved? <laughs> Something required. Yes. What's required is the preaching of the word of the kingdom yeah. and the person responding in faith to it. Yeah, yeah. You it's know, the same for everything. <laughs> I, 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 I love it when, he, when the Bible talks about that. Um, Until the gospel of the kingdom is preached to all the world, he will not return. Now, a lot of people have actually put it this way. Until the gospel is preached to all the world, he, will not you know, he won't return. They leave out the kingdom. Yes, and yes. the gospel and the gospel of the kingdom are two very different things. And what we've been talking about is the gospel of the kingdom. In other words, you as a Christian 
have a responsibility to fulfill the purpose of God for your life, which you will be held accountable for. And that's the message that needs to get right out to the world to give Great. a platform. I hear, you, I hear you preaching. You're getting <laughs> excited. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I think you need to have an altar call now or do something. Oh, gosh, no. I, 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 I feel the burden that I know many people are feeling right now because they're just saying, this is a total shock to my Christian culture. Yes. So, Mike, look, to bring it to a close, um, would you just pray for us? And yes. uh, just as, as you feel, Lido, come on, let's uh, I just hand it over to you. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your eternal destiny, your purpose that's so much greater than what we settled for. So, Father, we come before you and we repent in our hearts that we have settled for so little, that we've been so moved by our own kingdoms and our own ministries and our own concerns and our own lives. And we come before you today and we cry out for a wave of revelation of your kingdom to come upon us. Yes. We cry out, Lord, that you would dislodge false teachings or teachings which are incomplete and you would begin to open our eyes to the revelation of the kingdom of God coming on earth. Father, we pray. And Father, I pray right now for each person who's watching, who's felt shaken on the inside. I ask, Lord, that you would pour out grace and that the spirit of revelation would come upon them as they read the scriptures. Father, we break now the spirit of blindness that has stopped them receiving and seeing. We break doctrinal uh, error that has stopped them seeing. We release people's eyes and hearts mm -hmm. to see truths of the kingdom in a whole new light. And Lord, I ask that you would set a fire burning, that truly the gospel of the kingdom will be preached by everyone hearing these messages. Lord, I thank you for Pastor Brent. Father, I pray give him great wisdom as he stewards, Lord, revelation going into the nations at this time. And Lord, we give you all the honor and all the glory, and we yield our lives to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Well, amen. I mean, Mike, what a fabulous session this has been. Um, and I know, very transformational. And uh, we'll continue on this journey of looking at the kingdom, <laughs> I think. Um, awesome. I, I, I just think it is such a, a, now, uh, a now message. And uh, Mike, thank you so much. God bless you. You have a, have a great week and uh, we'll be in contact with you again. Awesome. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you and uh, to be in a great joy. Always love being with you. And I could listen, Brian, I could feel the fire burning in you at that last <laughs> man. You... <laughs> I love the way you just kind of set it all up and get the, the catalytical questions yes. to, get, to get things fired up. Awesome. <laughs> it's your prophetic gift at its best. Bless you. Love you very much. Take care. Love you too, Mike. Thank you so much for tonight. God Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye.